0: Well, good morning, y'all. If I've not met you before, my name's Tom, and it's nice to see you. Nice to be together again in person. Um, how's everyone doing? Good. Yeah. You good, yeah? Good. Uh, we're, we're through February, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, how, uh, did anyone memorize the scripture from last week? Ooh. I'm close. Yeah? You want to give it a try? Uh, Hero. Hero, Israel. Hero, Israel. Hero
1: Israel, the Lord our God. The, the, Lord is, is one. the Lord is one. Help me, you can help me. That's what I'm
0: supposed to do. Heart soul, and soul. Heart and
1: soul, mind and strength. And the second your
0: kingdom, love your neighbor. Hey,
1: good job. Yeah!
0: Woo. Together, we almost got it. I think
1: that was pretty close. That was pretty good. good. translations, though.
0: Oh, interesting. Yes. Okay. Let's read this translation. <laughs> Together, okay? Do you guys want to say it with me? Yes. Okay. Hear, O oh, Israel, the, the Lord our God, the
1: Lord is
0: one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is you shall love... Amen. Amen. We're reading that, guys, because we believe that's what God has for us. That's our portion. Mm -hmm. He's going to make us into wholehearted people that can do that. And Mm -hmm. in our broken, fallen state, we cannot do that. We're hopeless at doing that. But in our apprenticeship to Jesus and in our continual repentance and confession and all those things, we're we're allowing the Spirit to remake us and to form us into the type of people that that can be true, where we can love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. So... God is good. Uh, Last week, I I ended um, our message talking about this whole idea of a rope to a barn. And I forgot this quote, a Leonard Cohen quote here, guys. The blizzard of the world has crossed the threshold, and it has overturned the order of the soul. That kind of feels like what's going on in the world right now. We're living in a blizzardy time. Uh, We think about the war in Ukraine. Globally, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Socially, there's polarization about you name it. And then even within ourselves, in our own world, there is just blizzards happening. And how do we find our way? How do we follow the way of Jesus when it's really hard to see, like two feet in front of us? How does that work? How do we do that? And for those of us who follow Jesus, who've been saved, who have the Spirit of Jesus in us, He loves to show us the way. And He loves to lead us to the person of Jesus. And so as we follow the, the leading of the Spirit... He's going to lead us to a, a newer and clearer picture of who Jesus is, what he was like, what he did with his life. And what we see in the scriptures and the story of, of God is we see Jesus had some practices and some things that he did really intentionally, some disciplines. And we want to we look over those for, over the next couple weeks. We want to take time to just examine the life of Jesus and what, what, were, what was he doing, what was he up to, and how do we learn from him how to be a human in the midst of a really blizzardy time. Because that picture, I think, is helpful because farmers back in the day, maybe they still do it now. Jeremy, do you do this? Yes. No, okay, you have electricity there at your farm, so you don't have to do this. <laughs> but at the first sign of a blizzard, farmers would tie a rope from the house out to the barn. So that they wouldn't get lost in the middle of a whiteout, and they would be heading back towards safety, towards their family, towards warmth, and not get lost out in the whiteout. And so we believe that these disciplines are, serve as such. They bring us back to the heart of God. They bring us back to his presence. They bring us back to our purpose to be, to be with him and to become like him and to do what he did. Okay, so that's kind of the overview of what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into our specifics, I want to read a scripture from Ephesians chapter 2. And then I'm going to pray for us, and then we will dive into a specific uh, discipline, or a practice, or a rope to our barn. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Actually, you guys want to stand? Let's stand as we read God's Word. (laughs)
1: Ephesians
0: chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, that's us guys, by the way, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. stand before you as a family, grateful for what you've done, that you've torn down the walls that separated us, most importantly between ourselves and you, God, that you've made peace, Lord, where where we were at war with you, you're making peace in ever-increasing ways in our hearts and lives, Lord. I pray this morning, God, as we think about how this can shape and transform how we view our everyday lives, that we would be open to hear from your Spirit, that we would be willing to be challenged and we would be willing to think differently about things that we do god and Mm -hmm. so we sense your presence already here with us and we just want to go where you're going lord so just we welcome you and we thank you that you already welcome us and so we pray this all in the name of jesus and everyone said Amen. Amen. amen all right guys you can have a seat i want you guys to do a little thought exercise i want you to think about your kitchen table Think about your kitchen table, and think about the opportunity. If, if, if your kitchen table was given the opportunity to write a memoir, what would it be called? Oh
1: Oh
0: no. That would it be called Trish? Oh no. If I think about, if I think about my table, uh, my table has seen a lot of stuff. Um, both from my family of, of you know our four kids and my wife, Jess, but also a bunch of you guys have been around that table as well i think about the the tears of grief and disappointment that have been shed at that table as people have talked about uh, losing a child or losing a job or someone passing away that they cared dearly about i think about the arguments and disagreements that have happened around that table how could they think that or who do you think that you are Also, the joyful announcements, you know, happy birthday, congrats on your new job, that was amazing. The creativity that's happened around that table, songs being written, pictures painted, food spilled, jokes told, all kinds of life has been experienced around that table. And it would probably be the same for you. And I remember my mom, that that was her favorite thing, was her art, we had the same table my whole life and had paint all over it and food like baked into it somehow, and just all the different stories that it held. it's, it's Our kitchen table, your kitchen table, I imagine, is a central part of your normal life, right? You eat around that table? Yeah. yeah. A lot? Yeah. It, I want to propose to you that it's actually a sacred space. And this is uh, from Simon Carey Holt, who is, a, this is a, my dream job. He is a theologian and a chef. So this is what he says. He says this. <clears throat> it's good to be reminded that the table is a very ordinary place. A place so routine and everyday, it's easily overlooked as a place of ministry. And this business of hospitality that lies at the heart of Christian mission, it's a very ordinary thing. It's not rocket science, nor is it terribly glamorous. Most of what you do as a community of hospitality will go unnoticed and unrecognized. At base, hospitality is about providing a space for God's spirit to move. Setting a table, cooking a meal, washing the dishes is the ministry of facilitation. Providing a context in which people feel loved and welcome, and where God's Spirit can be at work in their lives.
1: Amen.
0: So, last week we talked about Jesus' announcement of the arrival of his kingdom, right? That he came announcing, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. And the shorthand for that is, hey, we have to think differently about everything. Mm. And so, I want to challenge you right off the hop you need to think differently about your kitchen table. Mm. You need to think differently about the meals that you're having. And so we are rethinking everything. And, and I, want to, I want us to just think about this idea. What if, what if discipleship isn't as complicated as we think it is? What if it's just doing the same things differently? What if discipleship is just doing the same things differently? We've all got to eat. We all eat around our tables. How could we do that differently? You see, following Jesus is not some ethereal thing that we eventually think about or only really smart people think about. Following Jesus is rooted and grounded in normal life, in reality. Yeah. And so I'd like, I'd like to suggest to you, this is my thesis statement, that your kitchen table is a secret weapon in God's mission. Amen. Your kitchen table is a secret weapon in the renewal of all things. If we think about, I mean, multiple conversations I've had over the last couple weeks, it's almost like we've forgotten how to be around people. Mm, yeah. After COVID and everything that's been going on, it's like, people don't know how to talk to each other. Have you guys said that? I'm yeah. looking at you, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's so many people that like, I, we were at a group thing the other day and it's like, no one really knew what to do. Everyone knew each other still. But like, how do we talk? Can I talk to you? You don't have a mask on. Can I, do I need to have a mask on? It's like, we've forgotten just how to be around people. And it's been painful because there's been some deep things that have happened over that time. I was talking to someone the other day and she was saying her best friend of 31 years will no longer see her based on her stance on certain things. And she's like, that shook me. And I don't know how to be around people who aren't my friend. Because if my best friend doesn't even want to be around me, how am I going to be around people I'm just meeting? And so we've come through, we're coming out of this socially distant, isolated COVID time. And so I think now more than ever, we need to see our table as a place for connection. Yeah. That this is really important for us to grab our heads, wrap our heads around. The Canadian uh, general population, we spend an average of 21.3 minutes at our table, which is down a, an hour from what it was 100 years ago. What? Wild. So we, we're kind of in and out. We're not really seeing it as such. We're just like, hey, we gotta, it's, it's more of functionality. We've got to get this food in our mouths and get on to the rest of our day. But what if... Like Angela was praying earlier, just even the fact that gas prices are super high now, what if this is just a way for us to slow down around our table with our neighbors and getting that average time up from what it was in the past? Mm -hmm. See, kingdom hospitality and fellowship is a way we as followers of Jesus can bring the kingdom right here, right now. We pray this. God, let your kingdom come in Allison as it is in heaven. Lord, we want to follow your way for the renewal of our town. What if it's more simple than we think it is? What if it's just doing the same things differently? Alan Hirsch, a missiologist, has this quote I thought was great. If every Christian family in the world simply offered good conversational hospitality around a table once a week to neighbors, we would eat our way into the kingdom of God.
1: <laughs>
0: yes. Amen? Let's do that. I want to eat my way into the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus can bring, wants to bring. He's announced it. He's asked us to follow him to facilitate his kingdom coming. And that can take place around your kitchen table. Think about this. Around your kitchen table, over a meal, the unknown can become known. The unloved can become loved. The lost can become found. The disconnected can become connected. The unseen can become seen. And this requires us, like we were talking about last week, to to just be still. To be still and know God. Be still and see the image of God represented in your kid, in your wife, in your yeah. husband, in your neighbor. Yeah. Be still and know God. Hospitality is uh, what we're talking about today, guys, if you haven't picked up yet. The Greek word for hospitality is philozenia, And this is what it means. It means love for the guest or stranger. It is the expression of the welcome of the father... To all, through the tangible acts of love, ideally through opening up your home for food, shelter, and relationship, sounds a lot like the gospel. Sounds a lot like Ephesians two, which we read there, where we talk, where we see clearly that we had there was hostility between God and us, and God offers us a meal. He's He's offering us hospitality. He's offering us relationship and closeness with Himself, and He wants to do the same thing through us. We talk about this often as a principle of the gospel. Everything God has done to us and for us, he now wants to do through us. Yeah. So, if God has shown us hospitality, how can we show hospitality to those around us? Let's um, look at the example of Jesus. I think that's always a great place to start as we are trying to do our best to become like him. And Jesus' example in the gospel is tremendous. And so, I want to ask you guys a question why did Jesus come? To save us?
1: To restore the relationship between the Father and
0: us. Yeah, beautiful. There's a simple answer from Luke. Yeah. It's, oh, sorry, Josh, what do you got?
1: To reveal what God is like.
0: Yeah, all these things are right. But I'm looking for one answer. So, Just kidding. All those things are true, guys. But what, what does Luke say? Why did Jesus come? This is it his words? Jesus' words? To seek and save the lost. Which that would kind of summarize all of those things that you guys were saying. So Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. How did he do that? Eating with tax Yes. Oh, yeah, Lee. Lee and Tion are on it. <laughs> <laughs> they might have looked at the slides before. In in Luke's gospel, this is what it says: He came eating and drinking. He came eating and drinking. That's how Jesus, he was eating with tax collectors. He was eating with the lost. He was eating with those who were unseen and far from God. This is what uh, a guy named Jeffrey Jip says. He says this. The entire ministry of Jesus is appropriately captured to, in the phrase divine hospitality to the stranger and sinner. God's hospitality is extended to his lost, broken, needy, and often stigmatized people. This divine hospitality comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ, the divine host who extends God's hospitality to sinners, outcasts, and strangers, and thereby draws them and us into friendship with God. God's embrace of humanity into friendship with him is the ultimate form of welcoming the stranger. Luke, in, just, just in the Gospel of Luke alone, let's look at just Jesus' time around eating. Luke 5, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners in the, in the home of Levi. In Luke 7, Jesus anointed up the house of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. In Luke 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. In Luke 10, Jesus eats in the home of Martha and Mary. In Luke 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and teachers of the law at a meal. In Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than just their friends. In Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. In Luke 22, we have the account of the Last Supper. In Luke 24, the risen Christ has a meal with two disciples in Emmaus and then later eats fish with the disciples in Jerusalem. Boom. Wow. You guys have seen the Oceans movies? Yeah. Yes. You know Brad Pitt yeah. eating at every scene? That's Jesus. Yeah. All throughout Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Just food there. Or in a more theological way of putting it, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Pretty cool. So Jesus came to seeking to save the lost. Jesus came eating and drinking. Jesus extends the hospitality of God to those far from God. How do we do the same thing? Jesus was really into eating and drinking to the point that he was accused of doing it excessively. And the the cool part about this is that we often could just read the Gospels flatly and kind of forget the context. The, the meals that Jesus were, was having were so important because what, what it was doing is it was showing to the people watching who his friends were. Yeah. That he was comfortable eating with those far from God, yeah. where the Pharisees and those in, steeped in the Jewish tradition would have had nothing to do with that. So there's this whole new way of Jesus' engaging with the world around him. So I wanna, this is a rhetorical question, but I think it's worth thinking about. Who would Jesus be eating with now? Who would Jesus be eating with in our day? in that story where Jesus is challenging his disciples about not just inviting their friends, he says a couple of things. He says, you need to invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And I think this could be the, the literal poor, crippled, blind, and lame, but also the spiritually poor, yeah. crippled, blind, and lame. And so what that means is, if, and think about this, I think this applies to every one of us in the room. The spiritually poor are those with nothing to offer for their salvation. It's me. The spiritually crippled Made, people who are made powerless by sin and brokenness. The spiritually blind, people who are unable to see the truth about Jesus. The spiritually lame, the people who are unable to come to God on their own. This is the guest list of Jesus. So there is a connection we see in the ministry of Jesus, specifically in his eating and drinking. There's a connection between Jesus' excess of food and his excess of grace. It's lavish. It's spilling over. It's, there's stuff left over. You know, we talked about this where we, in that, a couple of weeks ago about the, the good news of the, the new life that we've been given in God. It's lavish. It's over the top. And that's who God is. And so if all this is true, if this is what Jesus did, how do we, as people who are doing our best to, to try to learn how to do what Jesus did, how do we practice this? What is our response to receiving divine hospitality from Jesus? How do we practice what he was doing? And I want to commend to you a book that is incredibly helpful in this, and it's called The Gospel Comes with the House Key. And so I'm going to read the entire book <laughs> right now. No, but it's, it's, a, it's an incredible story. Um, I'm not going to spoil it, but I would highly recommend this. It's on a recommended reading list, but some of us have read it, and it's really impactful around this whole nature of hospitality. And the, I want, I'm, I'm saying this because the tagline that she has is so helpful. And she says this, it's practic-, practic- Practicing radically ordinary hospitality in our post-Christian world. So that phrase radically ordinary hospitality is so cool. Radically ordinary hospitality. So if our response is to do what Jesus did, it sounds like he practiced radically ordinary hospitality. So how do we do that? And before we get into that, I want to make just one distinction I think is really important because you might be tuning out already. And this this and it's this hospitality is not the same thing as entertainment. Hospitality is not the same thing as entertainment. And so if you might be thinking about, okay, I need to clean my house, I need to repaint my bathroom, I need to do all this stuff before anyone comes over, hold your horses. That's not the point. Um, Hospitality is about the other. Entertainment, if if we're honest, is often about me. How good I can cook for you, how clean my house is, how put together my children are, how well behaved my dog is. Never going to happen. Um, a couple guys this week know this already. But but hospitality looks more like, hey, we got some leftovers. And I haven't folded my laundry, but you're welcome to come over. Yeah. And so I'm going to read a couple quotes. So does that settle that in your hearts, guys? Hospitality is different than entertainment. Yeah. Hospitality is different than entertainment. And so I'm going to read a few quotes from this book. Because it's just so dang good. Um, about... Hospitality. Radically ordinary hospitality. The gospel comes with the house key. So this is her definition of radically ordinary hospitality. Radically ordinary hospitality is this. Using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors family of God. It brings glory to God, serves others, and lives out the gospel in word and deed. If you are prohibited from using your living space in this way, it counts if you support in some way a household in your church that is doing it. The purpose of Radically Ordinary Hospitality is to build, focus, deepen, and strengthen the family of God, pointing others to the Bible-believing local church and being earthly and spiritually good to everyone we know. When our Christian homes are open, we make transparent to a watching world that what Christ is doing with our bodies, our families, and our world. When we daily gather with family of God in organic and open and communal ways and invite those who do not yet know Christ to enter, we accompany one another in suffering. We bear one another's burdens. We show a watching world what fervent prayer sounds like, talking to God, knowing that we are, though the merits through the merits of Christ on good terms with him, and that our daily needs are his concern. When our Christian homes are open, our unsaved neighbors watch us struggle with our own sins both the sins of our doing and the sin nature with which we wage daily combat. For Christians to maintain an authentic Christian witness to a world that mistrusts us at the very least, we must be transparently hospitable. The Christian life is a cross-bearing life, and the Word of God calls and equips God's people to holy living. All our neighbors must know that we live differently from the world, and they will know as we live visibly within the means of grace, placing ourselves under the authority of the Church as members in good standing, And we must be unmistakably hospitable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Radically ordinary hospitality gives evidence of faith in Jesus' power to save. It doesn't, this is important, it doesn't get dug in over politics or culture or where someone stands on current events. It knows what conversion means, what identity in Christ does, Mm -hmm. and what repentance creates. Mm -hmm. It knows that sin is deceptive. And to be deceived means to be taken captive by an evil force to do its bidding. It knows that people need to be rescued from their sin, not to be given pep talks about good choice making. It remembers that Jesus rescues people from their sin. Jesus rescued us. Jesus lives and reigns. Radical hospitality shines through those who are no longer enslaved by the sin that once beckoned and bound them, wrapping its allegiance around their throat, even though old sins still know their name and address. I could go on, but that that in a nutshell is what I want us to think about. Meals around a table set the stage for the good news of Jesus. This is the purpose of radically ordinary hospitality. To take the hand of a stranger and to put it in the hand of Jesus. To bridge our hostile worlds and to add to the family of God. This is the purpose. And when we do this and when we think about this, a million fears and anxieties may creep into our mind. Well, they're not like me. They're different than me. They like hockey. I don't like Ah. hockey. Or whatever your... That's my big deal for me. No, I'm just kidding. But whatever our our issues or our fears or our checks or our hesitations could be, we have to remember Jesus came and found us. Jesus came and invited us to a meal. We had nothing in common. We didn't want what he wanted. We didn't want to listen to what he had to say probably in the beginning. But over time, Jesus wooed us with his goodness and with his grace. So how do we... Keep that frame of mind as we think about practicing radically ordinary hospitality. As you invite your neighbor, and it takes a year for them to actually say yes, Mm -hmm. how do you have patience for that? As you invite someone from this room, and and they don't want to come to your house for whatever reason, how do you have patience with that? How do you keep the long game in mind, where we're like, okay, Lord, I I want to trust you that you have a a plan and a purpose for this person, these people, this family, this table, How do I trust that you're faithful to complete whatever you started? So we have to be patient with this because we might leave this room and think, okay, I'm going to have a Nave Rover. They're going to get saved tomorrow. They're going to come to church. They're going to start tithing. They're going to be on the worship team. And it's just like, hey, let's just be patient. Let's let's let God lead us in this. But here's what I want you to hear, guys. You can do this. You can do this. This is not just for those of us with the gift of hospitality. If, If hospitality is not entertainment, then you can do this. And so don't, don't exclude yourself and think, okay, well, I'm not like that person. And yes, undoubtedly, there is a gift of hospitality, and there are people in this room that have that gift, but all of us can share a meal with someone. All of us can slow down and look someone in the eye and ask, how are you doing? Mm. All of us can say, hey, tell me your story. How did you come to Alliston? How did you end up at this job or in our neighborhood? Will it be easy? No. No. Josh, thank you for that. But anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Yeah. It's worth trying it. And and I think that this is where I'm going to read a scripture in a second. We have to we have to be easy on ourselves and realize like, hey, we're learning how to do this. We're going to figure this out as we go. So we need to have patience as we endeavor to practice radically ordinary hospitality and the key word here is practice. Practice hospitality. Let's read this This is um the amplified version. Practice hospitality to one another, those of the household of faith. Be hospitable, be a lover of strangers, with brotherly affection for the unknown guests, the foreigners, the poor, and all others who come your way, who are of Christ's body. And in each instance, do it ungrudgingly, cordially and graciously, without complaining what is respecting him. Him being God. And I think that, that idea, guys, of practicing hospitality. Don't think you have to go out of this, like, this meeting and then just nail it right, right away. Like, all of a sudden, you, you know how to make bigger pots of soup than you did before. You can adjust the salt proportions immediately perfectly. That's going to take some time to, to do that. It's going to be difficult to leave sure. your house messy. But that, that's all part of this process of practicing hospitality. Klaus, over the last year and a bit, as we've been thinking through all of the different practices and way we want to follow Jesus as a community, he keeps using this phrase. Hey, let's try it. If it doesn't work, we'll fix it, and then we'll try it again. Yeah. So try it, fix it, try it. As you think about practicing radically ordinary hospitality, try it, fix it, try it. Um, one, one thing too, guys, just a little thought I had as, we were, as I was praying this week, is that when we think about spiritual formation and becoming like Jesus, all those things, we have to remember that it, 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 it's, yeah, it, it's a blessing and a benefit to us as we become more like Jesus, but it's also a huge blessing and a benefit to those around us. And so our spiritual formation, part of it is for the sake of other people, not just for ourselves. And so I, I just had this picture of like, you know, when, when the, the farmers would string a rope from the barn to the house, other people could grab a hold of that rope as well. And so as we as people learn how to practice radical hospitality, invite another family over as well, and they can grab a hold of the rope that you've already put in place. And so there's part of this that's going to spill out and bless the people around you as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. It made sense in my head, but anyways. Um, so in closing, guys, I want you just to, this week, take some time and think through who, if Jesus were me, who would he have over for a meal? And I want you to think through and reimagine the sacred space that is your kitchen table. That there, is, there are many stories to be shared around that kitchen table. That the memoir that your kitchen table wants to write is not yet finished. Maybe that was cheesy, but anyways. Oh, and I want you to reimagine your house, your apartment, your break room at work as a place for hospitality. And how do we get to the point where, I was talking to Lee and Tion last week about how there's this phrase they would say at their old church, what's in your fridge is, is... Wait, wait. What's in your fridge is mine and what's in my fridge is yours. Exactly. I'm not there yet, so that's why I can't even say the phrase. But, but that idea that, yeah, come on over and, and open up my fridge and have whatever you want. That's what I think is, is so important for us to think through and keep in, in, in our minds. This morning, Jillian prayed this phrase. She said, Lord, help us remember that the, that the glory is in the process and not in the results. Yeah. As we learn to practice this, God is going to shape things in us. Like Even, even the idea of, of taking a step towards doing this is evidence of God working in your life. And so I just pray that this morning isn't condemning to you guys, it's actually invitational to you. It's like, man, I want to think through how I would live my life in ordinary ways differently. So let me pray for us, and then Dan's going to come up and lead us in one more song. So you guys want to stand? Alright, Father, you opened your arms to us, and we say thank you. May we run into your arms every single day. Lord, we thank you that you have us at your table. You prepare us a table in the presence of our enemies, Lord. You anoint our heads and our cup overflows. And Lord, I ask you that you would help us in turn invite those around us who are strangers. Mm -hmm. Those who need the embrace of the Father those who need just a meal, those who need to just be heard, Lord, and seen. Lord, I pray that you give us discernment and eyes to see those around us, Lord, who, who need those things. Thank you, Lord, that you are not calling us to some out-of-this-world bizarre mission, but just to do the same things differently, Lord. And I pray that we would see our homes, our tables, our meals as sacred spaces where, God, your kingdom can come in real, tangible ways. Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done our homes as it is in heaven. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.